Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. I can't think of anything as important as what's happening with our seed, our food and water supply, except for one other thing, and that is the subject of dirty electricity, of co-opted power, of currents that are making our health worse. And one of the things I learned from Dave Stetzer is that the ground is not zero potential, at least not in the United States. That ground current and this whole concept of stray voltage is something that we all need to understand, as well as to understand the different frequencies that are going not only to the ground, but are in our wiring of our buildings, our schools, our homes, our apartments. And that dirty electricity and dirty energy and dirty power is something that we have to be vigilant about. I've invited Dave Stetzer back to the show, who is the founder of Stetzer Electric, one of the people who has come up with something called the Stetzerizer, an appliance that you plug into your walls so that you don't have as much dirty energy working through your appliances, your computers, and everything else that you plug into current. He has been in the Air Force. He's an electrician by training and education. He has a top secret military clearance and has worked on classified projects that are still classified. His specialty is in the area of power control and along with Graham has created this micro surge protector. We have also invited a world-renowned person in the area of dirty electricity and power, Dr. Magna Havas from Trent University who is an associate professor of environmental and resource studies in the area of biological effects of environmental contaminants. She has also done major research on acid rain and metal pollution that'll knock your socks off and was formerly the science advisor to the Canadian Coalition on Acid Rain and is an expert witness along with Dave Stetzer. Probably these two are the front runners in the area of dirty electricity worldwide. Recently, there was something sent to me about Health Canada basically writing a hit piece about the Stetzer products and what they do or don't do, and the amount of misinformation and attacks on these two people and their work is nothing more than astounding. One of the reasons I've invited them both on at the same time is that Dave Stetzer said something to me two years ago on the first segment that we did that blew my mind, which is that if the ground current is not neutral, if in fact 70% of the current goes back into the ground and into the wires, what does that mean? What does that mean to our farms? What does it mean to our health? What does it mean when we plug in an appliance in the wall? And how do we protect ourselves the way we would with cleaning our water and making sure we eat organic foods? And what do we do with the air we breathe? What do we do with dirty electricity and pollution now? And we're going to clear up some issues about the Stetzer products. And we're going to clear up some issues with Dr. Magna Havis about dirty energy and pollution and make it much more accessible to you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Dave Stetzer back to its rainmaking time and Dr. Magna Havis from Canada. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the first thing I'd like to do is ask Dr. Magna Havis, do you accept that 70% of the current returns to either the wires or the ground? And if you do, why do you and how do you accept that? Is it verifiably true? Well, Dave, I've seen Dave measure it uh, flowing through the ground. It's really, you know, everything I learned about ground current, I learned from Dave. I visited his um, um, his um, uh, workplace, and we went around to farms. And Dave would take two pieces of metal, 
and he'd shove them into the ground. He'd connect them with an electrical wire and put an oscilloscope between them or a scope meter. And we could actually see electricity flowing through the ground. I mean, that's the first time I had ever seen it, and I was, I was amazed. And, you know, one of the things I realize now is that uh, we have so much electricity flowing through the ground that instead of it being uh, a sink for electricity faults in your home, it's actually a source, and it's coming in through your plumbing. So you can actually measure it on plumbing coming into your home, and you can determine where it comes from by uh, looking at the frequency fingerprint because it's not a, a clean source of energy anymore. So the fact that it's dirty electricity uh, allows you to actually determine where it's coming from. Well, if it's coming into our plumbing and it's in the ground and you've measured it, when we plug appliances into our walls, what does this mean now? First of all, the 70% of all the current that goes out on the wires returns via the, to the substation via the earth. And that's uh, the result of, in 1998, by two separate studies. One was done by EPRI, Electrical Power Research Institute in Palo Alto, California. And the other one was done by the Minnesota Science Advisors. So that was 1998, and I'm sure that it's more than that now. So what we're saying is when we plug something into our, our toaster or something into our, our receptacle, the, the electrons, the current comes through, and uh, lights the light bulb or runs the toaster, heats it up, but then those electrons now have to go back to the substation, the utility substation. And what happens is 70% of those electrons return via the earth because once the wire's out to the utility um, uh, electric grid or pole, they drive a ground rod on the neutral wire. We use a grounded Y system in North America, and like I said, 70% of the current returns via the earth. Do the utilities know that, or do they not know that, and did they know that then? Well, they definitely know that. Um, as a matter of fact, they're the ones making the problem worse. Um, EPRI has actually recommended how to get rid of the problem. They recommended that there be a five-wire system. And what the utilities have done is something that's uh, less expensive because to you know, string um, uh, wire along the poles costs money. And so what they did instead is they took the neutral that's supposed to bring back the unbalanced current, uh, and what they did is they actually connected it to ground. And so it, it, they've, they're deliberately using the ground to bring back um, this, this, these electrons. And when they did this originally, um, you know, way back when electricity was first being used in urban areas, the farming community didn't have access to it, and eventually it went out to the farming community and once again, the utilities, in order to save money, decided they would only string up hot wires. There wouldn't be a neutral. Um, and what they found is that as soon as they did that, the cows um, began to become quite ill. Their milk production went down. And so they realized they couldn't use the ground as an extra wire. And they had to put that neutral up. Today, that neutral doesn't have the right capacity. There's too many electrons flowing back, and there's not enough capacity so in order to deal with it, um, the utility has actually made the situation much worse for, in terms of ground current uh, in order to support their, their lines. Is this all about saving money from the utility perspective? Well, I can't see any other explanation. It's saving them money, but it's costing everyone else a huge amount of money in terms of um, ill health and you know, sick animals and reduced milk productivity and 
and uh, deaths on the farm, uh, miscarriages. So it's costing everyone a lot of money, but um, the utility is, is um, the one who's actually saving a little bit by not putting in the appropriate wires. Is this something that legislation would assist, or do you think that there's not a single congressperson that would dare broach this? I was in Washington, D.C. a few years ago, and I was told by Senator Russell Feingold from Wisconsin that the number one contributor to soft money in the country is the drug companies, and number two is the electric utilities. So I really don't see legislation being passed that would clean this up. Talk a little bit about, I want to talk about this because there's competing products on the market, and some say they do the exact same thing that yours does. Now, I don't believe that you're anti-competition, but I want you to make the distinction. Why do you say that yours is the only product that does what it does and is a unique product of its kind? Well, Professor Martin Graham, I, I spent some time in Russia wanting to know which frequencies are the most biologically active frequencies, which ones are the most dangerous. And we do know that these high frequencies, and the World Health Organizations come and, and agrees now, that says between 4 kilohertz and 100 kilohertz are the most biologically active frequencies. And so uh, the Russians did more research on this than, than a lot of people, although the United States Navy did research on it back in as early as 1972. Uh, maybe earlier than that, but they, they have a, a, a document out that in 1972 listing listing all the health symptoms. So what happened is we knew this, and so Professor Graham designed a filter that would remove between 4 kilohertz and 100 kilohertz, and very well. And it actually starts working about 2 kilohertz and goes out to 150 or more. So we did this, and people did research on it. Professor Havis is one of the people who did research. Uh, many people have done research with these filters and all have found statistically significant results when it comes to human health benefits. Diabetes changes, the, the blood sugar levels change in people's blood. These are things that, that are a number that can be plotted against the number. And we also developed a meter that we can measure the dirty electricity or how much energy is on the building's wires. And, of course, People think that you're going to become a multimillionaire or something. So we have people trying to make knockoffs of these filters now. Uh, they make statements like ours is better than the Stetzer filter because it can take out up to, you know, from four, 2 kilohertz or something way out to the, in the megahertz, which is impossible. It's not electrically uh, possible to do that. But they make these statements. They have no electrical background. Uh, and there's been no research done on their filters. All the research, to my knowledge, has been done on our filters because we've supplied the filters for people when they did the research. So people can say anything they want, I guess, and put it on the Internet nowadays. But, uh, you know, we, we, went, we paid our dues. We went we got them UL approved. We, had, we got them all over the world. And, of course, people are just greedy, I guess. Well, let me ask you this. Aren't there other measuring devices, though? You know, when you said you also created a measuring device to measure what's going on in the plugs, right? We've actually seen people buy our meter, and because we have a U.S. patent on the meter, they buy our meter, and they put a different case over it, and they say it's their meter. <laughs> and uh, it's really ours. And, uh, uh, you know, this is the kind of, this, uh, I guess, dishonest business people that are out there now. But for skeptical people out there, just skeptical consumers, okay, the bottom line is, is there a way to measure what's going on in the plugs Yes. Without your meter? There is. Okay. You can buy an oscilloscope, okay? Yeah. 
and you can use an oscilloscope, and you actually see the waveform. And that's what I was doing, and that's what Professor Graham was were doing. Uh, we were doing that originally. But the problem with an oscilloscope, to get one that you can really see, you know, and, and use, you're looking at about five thousand dollars. And the average person or homeowner can't afford $5,000 just for a simple measuring tool that they're going to use once or twice. So what happened is we said, we were in the Republic of Kazakhstan, and they said, can you build us a meter? Because we can't afford to give our Department of Health, Health Department, you know, $5,000 oscilloscopes and train them how to use it and things like that. Could you make us a meter that will measure the, the amount of energy that's on that building's wires? And I said, well, I can't, but I know a guy who can, and which is Professor Martin Graham. And he did. He built the meter, and, and, and now it's like $100 or something like that for this meter versus $5,000. Some people may say, well, if you use the meter, the meter is obviously going to tell you that you have dirty energy or dirty electricity almost all the time. And particularly with the two studies that you mentioned, that 70% of the current out there is coming either to the wire or returning to Earth. So... Isn't it then always going to read that there's a problem? I haven't seen any place where there isn't a problem, really, because there's no place now. Electronic equipment is really what is a culprit here. In 1972, there was an oil embargo. We had to get more energy efficient, so we started using current in a different manner. So compact fluorescent lights, uh, which just came out, but, you know, we had energy-efficient lighting, uh, TVs, anything electronic, stereos, computers, things like that. They all chop up the sine wave and they create high frequencies, and it goes back on the building's wires. And that's really the main problem. So you can see it within the oscilloscope. You can see, like, what a Dell tower would put on, or you can see what a Mac laptop would put on, something like that. You can actually see it and calculate the frequencies. So what do we do? Because let's say I have stetzer filters all over my home, and people have it all over their homes and apartments and their places of work. Now what? What does it do? Basically, it's a capacitor. That's designed with the right frequency response, it shorts these frequencies out. A capacitor is a short to high frequency, and it just shorts it. And it's, they're gone. Nothing, they're not there anymore. Now, when you say they're gone, meaning they're not emanating from the wall? Yeah, they're not on the wires. They're shorted out. Okay. Somebody sent me an email and said, what about ferret beads? How do they work? Can't they also cancel out frequency? And would extra ones help, like if one already exists on a cord, like on laptops? And they asked if you would sell a whole line of them. What do you think? You and Dr. Magna Havas answer this, please. Ferrite cores work fine uh, for certain frequencies and a frequency response. But if you take like a Dell laptop computer, for example, depending on the brand, okay, um, They'll put between 25 kilohertz or 50 kilohertz back on the line. That's a laptop, okay? And I'm not picking on Dell because they all put it on. 12.5 kilohertz will go back on the line with a Mac. But the bead doesn't do anything for that. It would do something for the higher frequencies, or, but not those frequencies. And what happens is there's a switch mode power supply. All our computers or electronic equipment runs on DC current. And you say, well, okay, but I plug it into an AC wall outlet. That's true. So we have to change that AC current to DC. And when we do so, we use diodes and we use what we call switch mode power supplies. And that switching creates arcing. And that arcing is a high-frequency event. So the ferrite beads, I'm not saying not to use them. You can, but it doesn't take care of the total problem. You need to go ahead and still use a filter to short that out. Now, ideally, okay, you shouldn't have to buy our product. Ideally, when... 
you know, Apple makes that computer, they know it's putting 12.5 kilohertz back on the line. They should make a tune filter and put in that computer. That would be fantastic. But it costs money, Dave, doesn't it? And so you've you've actually contacted uh, the Dell computer company to yeah. find out wh- whether they would do that or not. Yeah, we've actually went to the manufacturers of these things, and they've said, this is before, because we didn't want to have a product to sell because we thought it took away from our credibility as experts. But they said, no, it'll add $5 to the cost of the computer. So they didn't want anything to do with this. Wow. Does filtering work per circuit or on the whole system? Like, for example, a few electrical devices are on one current. Would that necessarily require less filters on that circuit? Not necessarily. When you make a filter, you need inductance and you need capacitance. The filter that we have supplies the capacitance. The inductance is determined by the length of the wire inside the building. But if you have, uh, and, and there's two sources. One is from the equipment that you have in your house, and the other is what's coming in off the grid. But as you plug these filters in, uh, if you plugged it in into your TV set, for example, and you had your meter over at the kitchen cupboard, uh, total different circuit, you would see the numbers decrease there. Every time you plug one in, it affects the whole house. Wow. Okay. I don't think I ever knew that. That's interesting. You previously said that if testing with a GS meter, if it doesn't drop to 30, then move on. And my question is why isn't the goal to go to 30 or below? Well, I think uh, what Dave said was, or or I might have said, is that it it should drop a certain percentage. Um, And so the way that you install these filters is um, that you, you, you have a meter on the same circuit, you plug in the filter, you see the, the change instantly. If there's only a slight change, you might want to put it somewhere else, not bother to put it there. You really want a substantial drop. When I was using these filters, um, a lot of the dirty electricity in my home was coming from outside, and so I installed them right at the electrical panel. And then I went around the house and, and um, you know measured it and saw how much it dropped. It had to drop a significant amount. So if it dropped from 500 down to about 100, uh, I would then leave that filter there. If it dropped from 100 down to 90, that isn't a place where I would normally put a filter. So that's how you determine where you where you install these filters. And is there a way to put a filter at the head end of the breaker box? Yes, and Dave, you should probably answer that. Well, yes, um, but we when we did this, we wanted to make it so that Anybody could put it in, uh, and you didn't have to require an electrician or something, so we, we made them so you can plug them into your receptacles. But usually there's a receptacle close to your main breaker panel. If there isn't, we, we, you need to have an electrician come, and, and the, the parts will be about $25, so whatever the service call would be the, be the biggest expense. But you would want to f- have an outlet fed from what we call A phase and one from B phase. There's two hot wires coming into your house, one we call A, one we call B, and you want to have an outlet on each one. Now, that'll take care of what's coming in off the grid very well. Okay. And then you go around and clean up what you're producing in the home as well. So that's the best way to get rid of all the dirty power in your home. Now, I know that you can have, let's say, one outlet, but it has two plugs in it. But when you put the Stetzer filters in, it actually takes up one plug, but it takes up the space of the two plugs. Why is that? Originally, when we wanted to uh, have one that would have a plug-through, in other words, you plug it in, you can plug something in behind it. Yes. Underwriters Laboratories would not allow that. Um, They wouldn't allow a plug-through on a filter. 
I know there's one of the knockoff companies are out there, and they have a plug-through, but they're not UL-approved either. So but where ours is, we have to follow the rules, and, and we want safety above anything else. But what's the basis for Underwriters Laboratory requiring you to do it and it to be done a particular way? They'll have a fire or what? Well, I think the reason behind it is because uh, somebody can plug anything they want into you know, a wall receptacle, and they're usually 20 amps, and you're on a 20-amp breaker, or if it's 15-amp receptacle, it's on a 15-amp uh, breaker. So there's the safety's there. But if somebody plugs a filter in and it's only rated, the wire's only good for 15 amps or something, and you plug a 20-amp uh, something into it that draws 20 amps or, you know, two toasters or a power plug with you're plugging things into, um, there could it's a potential uh, place for heat and a possible fire, yes. If one or two outlets, let's say, won't go below 30, which I know you've both addressed, will the electricity accumulate and pour out of those due to concentration like EMF and pinhole breaches? No, no. No. Okay. So my next... The reason we yeah. say 30, Kim, yeah. okay, is research has been done. And if you made the human body into an electrical model, it would look like three resistors and two capacitors. And if you did the calculations, anything above 1.7 kilohertz would dissipate internal to the human body. So we want to get the levels below that. We make a curve, and if we see 50 or so on the meter, we know we're below 2 kilohertz, okay? Right. But when the research was done, Professor Havis did research, Dr. Stephen Genesis, Professor Sam Millam, there's been research done by Yuri Gregoriev all over the world. When the 30 to 35 seems to be a magic number. When it gets below that, you see significant changes in people's health. Mm-hmm. What about these phones, these cordless phones? What are we going to do? Well, those cordless phones are at a totally different frequency range. That's not um, so much dirty power. It's more microwave radiation that's coming through the air. And the phones that we have, I'm sure you know this, Kim, the phones we have here in North America, the cordless ones, are emitting this radiation all the time, whether you're using it or not. Um, so when you, you know, when you pick up the phone, it's worse. But the base station that you plug, that you have the uh, handset in, um, that's also emitting the radiation. What do we do about it? Well, I think we in- encourage manufacturers to do what's happened in Europe. In Europe, when you lift up the um, the phone and you make a call. That's the only time there's any exposure to radiation, so while you're actually using it rather than 24-7. And what we need to do is encourage the manufacturers here to provide the same product. Now, a few years ago, they did that. They brought in uh, a phone that they called an EcoDect phone, EcoDect Plus phone, <clears throat> that only emitted, <clears throat> excuse me, that only emitted when a person was using it. And the Federal Communication Commission banned that phone in North America. So they actually said we couldn't use those phones. They now have one called the EcoDect phone. And this phone has reduced levels of radiation. And they call it Eco because it actually uses less power. And that's the reason they call it that. Um, but it's still constantly emitting. So we really have to go to the European model. And why the FCC would um, prevent this product uh, coming in is totally beyond me unless they want to radiate the entire population. 
Let's talk a little bit about the radiation and microwave. It's a very disturbing subject. I have a colleague that's been on the smart meter activism mode in full gear, just doing everything humanly possible to educate the public about how they really work. And it's really scary. And I was wondering if you could speak to that, uh, Dr. Havas. Well, the smart meters emit uh, basically two different types of electromagnetic energy. The one that most people know about is the radio frequency, and that's how they communicate with the utility. The other one is the dirty power that we've been talking about. So they actually generate both. And I certainly know from a a lot of the emails that I've been getting from people who are electrically sensitive that um, once those meters go into homes, and and by the way, not all of these smart meters are the same. They vary enormously uh, between states and also within states. Right. And if you happen to be um, part of a node and everything's being generated through your smart meter, then your exposure is going to be higher than someone who, you know, lives a few houses away. How do you find out if you're a node or not? Well, you can measure it. Uh, nodes have more constant, uh, sort, more constant emissions. Um, some of them are on all the time, whereas the utility will tell us that, you know, if you added up the total amount of transmission time, we'd be talking about a few minutes a day. Well, that's simply not true, uh, for, especially if you're at a node. Um, so there's that issue. And to some degree, you can shield your home uh, against that radiation coming from your smart meter. <laughs> by, you know, placing some metal behind it, uh, you know, and it doesn't have to be outside. It could be inside your building. Just put it on the other side of the wall and, you know, measure it, make sure you're shielding yourself. When you say put metal behind it, what do you mean? Well, if, if your smart meter is outside, and this is what happens on some farms, if your smart meter is outside, you can take some mesh and, and put the wire mesh between uh, your smart meter and your house. So it still radiates. The utility still gets the information, but it's not radiating towards your home. If it's right on the side of your home, what you can do is put um, either a film or, once again, a mesh behind it. The metal will uh, re-radiate these high frequencies, so they won't penetrate metal. Um, And so you can actually take a picture frame, for example, put metal mesh behind it, place it right where the smart meter is, And that will deflect a lot of the radiation from coming into your home. It's so unbelievable that we have to concern ourselves with this and that the smart meter is being put in at the speed of light practically. It's happening so fast. Do you agree with me or do you think I'm just making it up? Oh, totally. And it's it's worse than just the smart meter. Um, Some people don't realize, but there are smart appliances coming out now which means they're going to talk to your smart meter. And eventually the utility will have control over whether or not your air conditioner is on or off. That's one of the reasons they wanted to bring in the smart meter so they can control things uh, to prevent brownouts, according to them. But I'm I'm not certain that's the real reason behind it. I know that Dave recently purchased a um, um, freezer. Dave, do you want to share that story? Uh, Well, actually, uh, yeah. Uh, What happened, we had a real hot summer. And our freezer went on the blitz. So my, I was busy working, and my wife said, we need a new freezer. So we went to Sears. She got a new freezer, put it on a charge card, comes home. They deliver the freezer. And we plugged it in, and I didn't feel good when I came home at night. And she wasn't feeling good. We weren't sleeping very good, you know. And it's like, gee, this is, you know, almost a week goes by, and it's, it's getting worse. So I got a meter, and we went around the house. And it's the freezer. It's transmitting. 
all the time. And it transmits to the, the to a smart meter that we don't have on our house yet. We don't have one, thing gone on our house, but it's still transmitting. And so I called Sears, and I said, look, you know, this meter, this freezer transmits. So finally I got far enough up the food chain where they said, yeah. So I said, well, I don't want it. So we gave, took it back. And we had a real hard time finding a freezer that doesn't transmit. And didn't you ask if you could disconnect the transmitter, and they said no because it would void the warranty? Voids the warranty, yes. Unbelievable. So your range, your kitchen range, your your refrigerator, your stove, everything, you're going to be uh, bombarded. It's bad enough now, but it's just going to get worse unless the government really wises up and does something about this. I was told that within three years that landlines would be removed. Now, landlines become obsolete on purpose and they're removed and ripped out of existence. We're in deep trouble, even worse, aren't we? Well, you know, there are ways, I I would agree with you, (laughs) but there are ways that people can protect themselves. There's a lot you can do to clean up your own environment. You know, I don't want this to sound like this is all doom and gloom. No, no, no. I know that. I just want to know. I always tell people, always try to speak on landlines if you can, rather than cell phones. That's right. Because so many people have cell phones, they have them directly in their ear. Even the cell companies are making it so that you have to get a smartphone and the only one phone that's left that's not a smartphone is so ugly and so hideous and just as expensive. It's kind of like you're being moved to move with the crowd, you know. Until we go over the cliff, yeah. Yeah, so, no, it's not a doom and gloom thing, but talk about what you suggest for the cell phones. Well, with a cell phone, um, I would recommend that you keep it in airplane mode as often as you possibly can, which means that it's not receiving or emitting any kind of uh, radiation. If you need to, you know, and I, and I know some people can't do this, but, you know, collect your messages and then uh, return them on a landline. Uh, and that's one way of dealing with, the, you know, these smartphones. The other thing you can do is when you are using it, use it in speaker mode. Uh, put it down on a table and speak into it. Don't even hold it in your hand. And if you can't do that uh, because you want privacy, then you can get certain types of uh, earpieces that have a hollow tube near the end because the wire acts like an antenna from these earpieces and basically irradiates your entire body if it's next to your body. So are you talking about like one of those products that Mercola made? I think he made some type of a tube. Yeah, it's called a blue tube Yeah, uh, because the last few inches are blue. It's a blue um, clear tube. The problem is um, they break very easily, so, you know, the quality is, is really quite questionable. Uh, but that's about the best thing that you can do if you're going to be using your, your phone. You certainly don't want to keep it in your pocket, not a hip pocket, not a chest pocket. Women are keeping them in it, these phones in their bras. That's a real no-no. There are examples of breast cancer that uh, the shape of the cancer, the location of the cancer is right where the phones were held. So you really don't want to expose your body to microwave radiation. It's like putting your head next to the microwave when you turn it on. You know, you wouldn't do that. So why hold a microwave-emitting device next to your brain and next to your reproductive organs and your, your heart? There was a guy I just heard over the weekend that said, take aluminum foil and put your cell phone in it and package it with this aluminum foil and you won't get the emissions. What do you think of that? Well, you can just turn turn it onto airplane mode to get the same thing. Um, the problem is, you know, like if you put it in aluminum foil, you're not going to get a phone call. 
And if there's any leak in it, um, then you will still be radiated. So if there's a little hole, that's where the radiation is going to come through. Um, so that would not be my recommendation. There is material you can buy to shield your body uh, that has silver fiber in it. So you can actually buy silver fiber underwear or T-shirts or other types of clothing and protect your body against that radiation. And so if you have something like that, then putting your cell phone in your pocket is less of a concern. But people have hip problems, you know, where they keep their cell phone. Um, some of them uh, feel this phantom vibration. Um, if they keep their phone on vibration mode, um, you know, they reach for it thinking because they felt a fi- vibration, but their phone isn't actually there. And that's a, a sign of um, becoming sensitized to those frequencies. What do you think about the laptops, people putting them on their laps? Oh, it's the worst thing you could possibly do. And my real concern is for young kids. Um, we have evidence now that the radiation from cell phones and from laptop computers on Wi-Fi actually interfere with sperm um, viability, their survival rate, um, their ability to do the job. They're much less motile. Um, and so there's all sorts of potential reproductive problems that can, you know, happen down the road. They're not good enough as a, as a you know, a condom to prevent uh, pregnancy, but they're certainly uh, going to interfere with, the, you know, the ability for couples to get pregnant. And one of the real concerns here is that uh, with young women, we are born with all the ache cells that we will ever have. And if those ache cells are damaged, then our potential for reproducing uh, are really compromised, and that means we're going to be affecting not only this generation, but generations to come. So my question to you, and I do want to talk about schools too with both of you, but for example, I'm sitting at a desk. I have two computers and a mixer, a very large mixer here, and I have a wireless router below the desk. Now, I'm not on wireless, but it's a wireless router. What does that mean to people who have a similar situation? Well, you're exposed to that radiation from the wireless router all the time. It's just radiating. Just like your cordless phone is radiating all the time, your wireless router is sending out what's called a beacon signal all the time. And uh, when you use your computer uh, or you use the wireless router, then it simply increases the amount of radiation. So that's not a good idea. Um, The best thing to do is, is use wired routers and wired phones as long as they're still available. I hope people understand, even though I'm not using the wireless router part for my computers, and of course they sell it to you like that's what you're supposed to be using, it's beaming all the time, right? It is, and you have to know how to disconnect it properly. Um, I needed a new router because mine was very old and it wasn't functioning properly, so I ordered one and I had it installed and I you know, thought that the wireless component was turned off. I didn't even bother measuring it because my home is is relatively clean electromagnetically. And a friend came over who was electrically sensitive, and she started getting ill in my office, and she says, I think there's something here. And I said, well, there can't be, you know, because I I make sure that my home is clean. But we got out a meter, and my wireless router, my router, which was wired, was actually emitting radiation. So I contacted the company. It was Bell Canada. And I said, I'd like you to disconnect this at your end. Well, they couldn't understand why. And I, you know, explained a little bit. And and it turns out the person who I contacted didn't have enough technical skills. So she bumped me up to someone else. And I said, I'd like to have this disconnected. Um, And they said, okay, we'll do this for you. And I waited. And they said, okay, you're disconnected. And I said, well, actually, we're not. And he said, well, how do you know? And I said, because I'm measuring it at my end. 
And he did something else and then finally disconnected it. So, you know, unless you have a meter where you can actually detect the radiation, uh, you might be exposed without even knowing it. Dave, is that your meter that she's talking about? No. Okay, well, that's... That was a, a, for, high, for very high frequencies, microwave frequencies. Dur- it Dave's measures meter. things coming through space. What kind of a meter is she talking about? It's an RF meter. I think she's probably HF35C. That would be one of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, uh, there's a meter called the HF35C. It's, uh, it's a meter that's about $400. It measures, it's got a directional antenna, and it measures what's coming through space. It will measure, like, Wi-Fi, cell phone, deck phone. Some of the meters, that one in particular, it makes a sound when you're exposed. So you can look at the number and find out what the levels are, but you can also tell from the sound the intensity of it. And one of the things we did is we actually took different devices and measured them. And I've got, a, I've got it on a computer program. Do you want to hear it, Kim? Just to... Sure. Okay, so this is what Wi-Fi would sound like. This is a cordless uh, decked phone. This is a, um, a, a cell phone. This is Bluetooth. This is a baby monitor that the mother um, uh, holds near her body. And this is a baby monitor that's near the crib. Now, when I give talks, I sometimes, you know, let people hear that. And I turn them all on at the same time. And, you know, the crowd just goes crazy. Because if we could hear this stuff, we wouldn't be able to tolerate it. But because we can't see it, hear it, feel it except for those who are sensitive, it's as though it's not there. It's really scary listening to it. And those are the frequencies um, that they're emitting. Those are, you know, background uh, frequencies that we're now all exposed to in our homes. What about wired and wireless headsets? Can we talk about that? Because so many people are on Skype and they wear both wired and wireless headsets. What do you think and what's your input on that, both of you? I don't believe in wireless headsets. Um, we actually tested some of them uh, to find out um, how much less radiation there would be, and there is slightly less radiation than if you know if you're holding your head next to a, a device. So in that sense, they're they're better. Um, but the the safest way to go is with wired. You, but you want to make sure that the wires are not near your body, because as I mentioned before, the wires act like an antenna. So you want to make sure they're not near your body. Uh, the problem is they go right into your ear. And uh, one of the uh, types of, of tumors that people, in addition to the brain cancers and, and salivary gland tumors, one of them is called an acoustic neuroma, which affects the nerve going to your ear. And that is then getting blasted uh, because that's where the wire ends up, right at your eardrum. Well, every time I've been on a wireless headset for a phone, which I got to get out of my seat, I've had a headache every time afterward, every well, that, time. That means to me is that you're beginning to develop a sensitivity. What people, what the range of reactions um, that start with, they start usually with cell phones because that's what most people are using or cordless phones. And what happens initially is that um, if you're on the phone long enough, you begin to get a headache. And then the headache will, um, will go away when you get off the phone within a few minutes. And then eventually that headache will come on sooner, it will be more intense, and it will last longer. 
And then eventually, someone using a cell phone in your vicinity, you'll start getting a headache. So you, you become so sensitive to this, and that's called electro-hypersensitivity. And once that happens, you cannot be exposed to any of this radiation because your body just reacts. And so you lose your ability to use all of these uh, fancy gadgets because you're just too ill to use them. Actually, I should correct myself. Sometimes I get a headache. Most of the time, my head and my ear area is hot. Yes. And I can't stand it. I literally can't stand it. And of course, what's between your ears is this wire, too, up on top of your head. That's right. Wow. You have to be so meticulous with everything, don't you? You know, and everything is, is okay in moderation. You know, drinking is okay in moderation. Uh, exposure to this is okay in moderation. But what's actually happened is we're now totally inundated with it. We've got cell towers near our homes. We've got wireless technology within our homes. We have smart meters attached to our homes. We just can't get away from it anymore. And um, that's what's causing the problem, this long-term constant, constant, constant exposure. I want to talk a little bit about the Health Canada write-up that was sent to me. You wrote a response to this, Dr. Havas, an open letter to Health Canada regarding the evaluation of Stetzer filters. And I'd like you to talk about why you did that. Well, um, uh, Health Canada did a report called Evaluation of Stetzer Filters back in 2006. And I was sent a copy of it. And I was actually, I was really pleased that Health Canada uh, was testing um, this filter. And I think they should be testing all of the products that people are, are producing uh, that make claims about, you know, protecting your health. They're not. They're not testing anything, uh, to my knowledge. But they did test these filters. And so when I started reading the report, I was, I was astounded that they didn't use the appropriate technology. I would have thought Health Canada could afford the right equipment to do the testing. When you test a product, you find out what the claims are, and that's what you end up testing, those claims. Now, Dave's already mentioned um, that these filters work between about 4 to, you know, 100 kilohertz. And so Health Canada, in the equipment they used, it, it only was able to pick up 50 hertz, which is way below the level that's, that these filters work at, up to 5 kilohertz. So there was, a, there was a 1 kilohertz overlap. They couldn't measure anything else. I mean, I was, I was in a state of shock that they would do something that inappropriate. And their equipment wasn't sensitive enough to pick up changes. So they made all sorts of assumptions and, and made false claims based on using the wrong equipment to test this particular product. The interesting thing is they also used the um, stetzerizer, the, um, the meter that Dr. Martin Graham had developed, and they could see changes in that, but they couldn't see changes in their more expensive equipment. Uh, which, you know, should have rung some bells for them, but um, obviously, you know, they weren't enough. What's also fascinating is this document was never, to my knowledge, ever on a Health Canada site. It was distributed, I think, quite maliciously uh, through the electric utilities, um, and so it, it was really an attempt to uh, try to steer uh, people away from this, this particular product. And what stuns me is that the research that we've done shows that if you reduce this electrical pollution in your home, your health improves. And so there were actually, you know, we have bona fide, peer-reviewed scientific evidence that this form of pollution that the Stetzer filters remove um, actually improve your health. They, they, you know, if you put the filters in, it actually improves your health. 
So of any of the products, this is one that Health Canada should be promoting uh, rather than criticizing by using the wrong technology to measure things. I want you to know this is still being circulated as a fact. It, it's, it's actually mind-boggling. Um, I mean, if you could sue a, a, um, a government agency, that, sh- that is what should happen, um, but that's not possible here in Canada. So, unfortunately. And then the question is, why did they pick this filter? You know, why haven't they tested any other product that's available from, you know, necklaces that you wear and things that you stick on your phone um, that I've tried to measure that I'm, and I haven't been able to. I haven't been able to find a change in in any form of radiation, uh, you know, from these other products, why is it that those aren't being tested? And why why is there an attempt to really try to discredit, um, you know, the Stetzer filters? It really makes no sense to me. It's it's one of the few products we have really good scientific evidence uh, for. I want to talk a little bit about Zori Glazer, the U.S. Navy researcher who found out a long time ago about the problem with dirty electricity. Can you talk a little bit about Zori Glazer? Yes. Um, Zori Glazer, actually, he, he did a lot on microwave radiation rather than dirty electricity. Okay. That was most of what he did. Um, he's now retired, and in 1972, he, he wrote an incredible document um, that reviewed all of the research up to that point on exposure to radio frequency and microwave radiation. And he was you know, working for the U.S. military at the time, and that was his job. And he um, was able to have foreign documents translated. Um, he you know, really had quite a bit of uh, support behind him in, in getting this information. And the document he wrote basically outlined the key biological and health effects of being exposed to microwave radiation. And at that time, uh, the levels in other countries for guidelines were much stricter than they are than they were in, in North America. And they were actually trying to figure out what level um, can someone be exposed to without causing harmful effects. So he he um, alerted everyone about this, and I got a copy of that paper just you know a, a, a few years ago, and I was so impressed, and I wanted to call him and con- con- uh, uh, congratulate him for doing such a great job, and I didn't know if he was still alive. I didn't know how old he was in 1972. I finally I tracked him down and I contacted him, and we had a lovely you know, chat on the telephone. And he said, well, you know, in addition to these 2,000 papers that we reviewed in 1972, we have about 6,000 of them that we've reviewed since then. And so I was really excited, and I said, you know, would you be able to send me your, your, you know, your summaries of them? So he said, everything, uh, all of these documents are in storage right now. And I said, um, I said, do you mean you've kept everything? And he said, yes. And I said, that's amazing. And he said, well, it's funny you should call me now because he said, I've been trying to give them away to libraries and universities and no one wants them. And he said, so I'm just going to have to dump them. And I thought, well, that's, that's terrible. And I said, would you be willing to give them to me? And he said, yes. So we actually hired a truck, went down, you know, we flew down um, to Maryland, hired a truck and loaded all of his references there and, and brought them to Canada. Oh, my God. And I've been, um, you know, sorting through them, picking out the ones that are still relevant from a scientific perspective, and scanning them and making PDF documents that are now available on my website um, that anyone can download for free. So we've put, you know, quite a bit of, of, uh, you know, effort into doing this to 
save these documents and make them available to to society at large. And there's some real gems in there. What they knew back in the 60s and 70s is absolutely amazing. And had that information been declassified earlier, you know, we would have saved us a a heck of a lot of um, heartaches and people would be a lot healthier now than, than they are because of the levels of exposure. And we have documents that had really minimal circulation where only seven were printed with uh, recommendations from medical doctors that the U.S. should reduce their guidelines to be more in line with the ones in, in the former Soviet Union. And um, those simply, you know, weren't, weren't um, accepted. And that's why we've got the problem that we're having now. Wow. What countries are the most responsible in this area that you've seen, if any? Well, I know that um, Sweden is very responsible. They they recognize they were among the first to recognize electro hypersensitivity. In Switzerland, the government um, has recognized this, and they have some amazing information on their website. But I've spoken to people in Switzerland, and what's on the website and what's actually practiced are not the same. So, in practice, they're not nearly as as effective as they could be. Uh, certainly, uh, Russia, uh, Kazakhstan, the Eastern European countries have been doing research on the health effects of this for a very long time. Indeed, they used it um, as a as a form of a weapon uh, through in their military, <laughs> so they knew what the harmful effects were. But they've also used it for healing, and um, they know what the beneficial effects of different frequencies are. So, I would say that the, you know those are the countries that I know of um, that are probably the most advanced in the world. What do you think, Dave? Well, I, I think Russia, I agree with you uh, about Sweden, but I think sometimes in Russia, too, now that with the new Russia, uh, <clears throat> I, I think a lot of these standards and things like that are being set aside. Uh, you know, Motorola's there big time and, you know, companies like that now. Yes. I never did hear where you found your freezer, Dave. Oh, actually, um, my nephew uh, got a freezer, and I gave him a meter to check it, and the freezer it didn't transmit at all. And so we 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 uh, put this new freezer in, and and I was very happy with it, you know. And we put all the meat transferred it over, and all of a sudden I get my meter to just to double check it, and it was transmitting. When the door opens, it transmits. <laughs> it's so, frightening, isn't it? So I'm going to avoid the warranty, and I'm going to go in there, and, and it's a fairly simple thing, no digital you know, displays or anything like that, and I'll avoid the warranty. I'm going to take the side off, and I'm going to cut the wires for the transmitting. You're lucky you can do that. You know how to do that. <laughs> but, I mean, I can't take a brand-new refrigerator and take it all apart and because now, you know, the, you know the, the DC power supply or something is going to be the same for some of the other functions, and it avoids the warranty. But this freezer is a fairly simple thing. I wonder if there's some people that can write how to do that for people that are getting new equipment. It, it would be all, useful. We should have a choice. Right. Um, you know, I, the smart meter, I got a letter from, from, you know, they want to put a smart meter on my house and I have a paddle lock on it, so they can't get it. So the utility writes me a letter saying, hey, you know, and I'm saying it's unsafe. So then they send me a letter back saying, well, yes, but, you know, we're some California, and I don't remember what it was, uh, said that, it wasn't a health department or anything like that. It just that some agency in California said that we we're being exposed to these high frequencies from cell phones and, and deck phones and all these things anyway, so therefore we should be able to put this meter on your house. It's not going to be any worse. But, so I rolled back and I said, okay, well, wait a minute now. Um, first of all, 
it doesn't say that it's safe. It just says that we're exposed from other places. Uh, my cell phone, I don't even know where it is, probably all in my truck somewhere right now because I don't have it on and I don't use it that often. I have a choice with my cell phone. I don't want to use it. I don't use it. I have it off most of the time, and and I, uh, uh, I'll answer my messages or something like that. I use I choose not to use deck phones. I choose to use landlines. I choose not to use wireless Internet. I choose to use the, the Ethernet cables. So you see, I have a choice there. So I, therefore, should have a choice with my electric meter also. And, of course, it doesn't say it's safe. The safe level of exposure to RF is zero, according to Dr. Neil Cherry, who did a review of the literature back in 1998. So what if the utility says, we're going to turn your power off, Dave, if you don't accept it? A lot of people are faced with this. Uh, I don't live in a very big city. And uh, I live in a small, smaller town where I can go to the city council and I will take a truckload of information that says that this is not safe and we will have some sort of public health officer there and I'm going to present the facts to them. And I would think it was, should, they should, the utility should be equally diligent and bring all the information that says it's safe. And I don't think they can find any place that it says it's safe. Well, I'll tell you, they do this in every city, and it's a very big lobby. I think maybe you have many people that go forward could present things at this level, but most of the public who has to go to these public commissions to stand up. We have a public service commission, but in, in most states, the public service commissions commissioners are appointed by the governor. And usually the big contributor to these uh, war chests or the campaign funds of the governors is the electric utilities. Right. We're back to the same stuff. Yeah, you need electoral reform. I wonder if there's a way to sell the utilities on why this should be done and how it can be done and why it's smart to get it done. I think the thing is, how do you sell it? Because obviously it's going to take that. The humanitarian side of this is of no interest there. You know, it's about the money. But maybe there was some incentive they could get for doing this. You see what I'm saying? But Mm -hmm. the utilities, uh, the government hasn't stepped in on these smart meters. One of the things about these smart meters, okay, uh, in fact, Dr. Havis sent me a, a, a video of a mall a large mall in Toronto or someplace. And what happens is people come into the mall and all of a sudden you're identified with the security camera mm-hmm. and all kinds of data comes up. Your type personality, if you're A, B, C, all this huge amount of data is there. Whenever you go into a store and you buy something with your credit card, that data goes somewhere. Okay? So this, a mall, a person in a mall has access to all this stuff. If you're going to buy, you're not going to buy. Now we're collecting data from people in their home. How often do I open my freezer? Is my microwave running? Is my stove on? How long does my stove run? Obviously, if I'm using my oven, I'm cooking something longer than I would be if I put it in a microwave. So it's like an invasion of privacy for me. Me too. Me too. I don't want it, and I don't think that information should be made available. And it is. So I really... uh, But the government... Uh, it's just a way of, of keeping track of people. Where were you? Where, what are you doing? Dr. I do think they're going to be anti-utility here. Dr. Havis, let's talk about the children at schools. This really worries me. The Wi-Fi in schools. It's a totally different environment now for kids. 
It is. And, you know, the guidelines that were made on microwave radiation, they were originally designed to protect men in the military who were working with radar and occupational, um, in, you know, adults in occupational settings. They were never, ever, ever intended to, um, you know, protect children in elementary school who are exposed to this radiation. What most people don't recognize is that when you have a wireless router in a classroom, it's not the same type of wireless router that you might have at home. Your wireless router at home is bad enough, but in schools they use industrial-grade wireless routers. They're much more powerful. They're able to penetrate through fairly thick concrete walls that you would have in schools. They're able to service quite a few students simultaneously, and the levels of radiation are really quite high. In one Canadian school, they actually found that uh, in one of the readings they took, the levels exceeded our guidelines here in Canada. They're called Safety Code 6 guidelines. They're the same as your guidelines. And that guideline was designed to protect you know, military personnel for short periods of exposure against heating, to protect their body against heating up, because microwave radiation can heat just, you know, like the same thing with the microwave radiation in your microwave oven. And yet these kids are exposed for thousands of hours each year at school, some of them also at home, and their little bodies are going to be, you know, damaged by this. And a number of them are already complaining of headaches at school, difficulty concentrating. You know, one little boy said he's too weak to hold a pencil. But what concerns me the most is more and more children are having heart palpitations in school to the point where, you know, some of them have gone to their, you know, cardiac um, um, pediatric cardiologists to determine, you know, what's wrong with their little hearts. And according to Zori Glazier, um, Originally, back in the 1960s, it was actually recommended that if you work with microwaves, that you have your heart tested. And if you've got any kind of heart abnormalities, that you be, you know, excluded from this type of work. So we're now taking little kids, putting them into classrooms, turning on the the microwave radiation, whether they're using the the computers or not is irrelevant, and their little bodies are being exposed to this day in and day out. It's absolutely disgusting and extremely disturbing um, from from their perspective of health. What's the answer to this? I mean, it seems like it's an obvious answer, but for children that are now being introduced to the internet and computers and computers are so popular, what are you suggesting is the alternative? The answer is to hardwire it. Many of these schools already have hardwired um, computer access. They just want to have the, you know, flexibility of having a child sit in a hallway, use a computer if they wanted to, rather than sit at their desk, uh, which is illegal, by the way, because of the fire codes in the hallways. Um, So it just does not make any sense to me why you would not send this um, radiation through wires rather than through the air and through their little bodies. What do you think about the fact that children are now walking around with cell phones at a young age? Well, you know, Health Canada, you know, despite all the, the... you know, they're really archaic in, in their safety code still. Despite that, they issued a warning that uh, children should, you know, not use cell phones under the age of 16, that they should really minimize the use of them. So they're, you know, they're trying to be responsible without causing a real panic. Uh, but in that desire, um, you know, unfortunately more and more children will be adversely affected. 
The World Health Organization and the International Agency for Research on Cancer classified this form of radiation as being possibly carcinogenic to humans, and yet we're bombarding kids in the classroom to this possible carcinogen. It really doesn't make any sense. Dave, do you have anything to say about this part of it, the cell phone use with children and the Wi-Fi in schools, the way that Dr. Havis has described it? Oh, I agree with her 100%. It's true. Uh, But, again, when we started this with the filters, it was back in 1998. Everybody didn't have a cell phone, you uh, you know, next to them. And people were ill. And like I said, I went with the Russia. We wanted to know which was about most biologically active frequencies. And when we built the filters and we put them in people's home, there was like this miraculous change. I mean, night and day, black and white, up and down with their health. But what happened, uh, of course, now is people have Wi-Fi. They're exposed to other sources. The only thing is I think that it takes like 10 years or something like that to get cancer from the use of a cell phone. I imagine you're going to get it. It's just going to take you a little longer. Where the dirty electricity part, those those results are pretty much immediate. Uh, the Russians gave our American ambassador uh, leukemia. leukemia within six months. Wow. I want to talk a little bit about the fact that even for those of us that buy the Stetzer filters, we put them all over our environments. What's the next thing we need to do, aside from also what Dr. Havis is saying about using wired routers? Compact fluorescent lights, for example, you know, the the ones that look like a snake, you know, the compact fluorescents, uh, they put between 50 kilohertz and 100 kilohertz back on the line. And they also radiate through space. So... When we, we say the filters is one part of it, but we need to clean up our electrical environment. And so in doing so, it, in, it entails a lot of things. Uh, we don't want to be using the deck phones, the ones that transmit all the time. Uh, limit our use to cell phones. And I'm not saying go out and throw, you know, your TV and things like that away. You don't have to. We can put filters on, you know, the high-frequency event, you know, like devices like Uh, the TV and your stereo and your computers, things like that. So can we use it? Can we use it safely? Yes. Uh, I think we can use this stuff. But there's more. Yeah, there's more than just putting the filters in. That that obviously are the most biologically active frequencies. Those, that's a must no matter what, because even if you don't have any of this stuff in your house, you're still getting it from what, what your neighbors have off the grid. But compact fluorescent lights, I'm sure that people will, you know, just look at their health and say, oh, look, uh, I put these lights in. I didn't feel good after I put them in. And a lot of people say, oh, I don't like those things. They don't know why. But if they measured it and seen, you know, on the meter and things like that uh, and were a little more um, educated on the subject, uh, they wouldn't use them. Isn't there now going to be regulation coming up very soon about the fact that we have to have certain type of lights Yes, you you will have to have uh, energy-efficient lighting. And right now, those compact fluorescent lights are the most um, cost-effective. The LEDs that are coming online, um, the quality of them is not up to par yet in many of them, and they're far too costly. So it will take a little bit of time before they'll be replaced with something that's actually much better for you than right now. What do you think of the full-spectrum lighting that's supposed to be much better for you? Well, the full-spectrum is fine, but if it's if it's a, a fluorescent full-spectrum, then it's causing the same problems that Dave just mentioned. We actually tested a lot of different light bulbs, and we know, you know, what the, they, they vary enormously in how bad they are. So... Um, there isn't a policy on them that we know of that the government is enforcing, which is unfortunate. 
Um, the problem is that people are now getting sick and they don't know why, and it's usually after they've installed uh, a lot of these fluorescent light bulbs in their home. <clears throat> and three different groups in the United Kingdom have, have come out against them. One is the um, um, uh, Migraine uh, uh, Society, one is the um, uh, Dermatological Society, and one is um, the Epileptic Society because epileptics, people who develop migraines, uh, and there are people who develop skin problems. So, you know, once again, the government hasn't done its homework before it made the recommendation to have these installed everywhere. Now, Dave is obviously in a much smaller area. He's not in the center of a hub, okay? But I'm sitting in the center of a microwave and an RF hub. So after the Stetzer filters are put on, we find the kind of lighting that's more effective. What's the next step? Putting stuff on your walls? What do we do? Well, if you've installed the Stetzer filters and you've done them properly, then you shouldn't have a dirty electricity problem anymore. And that that will make a big, big difference, even if you have wireless technology. If you get rid of all your fluorescent light bulbs, that's even, you know, that, that helps enormously. It means you need fewer Stetzer filters. The next thing you have to do is you have to measure the amount of radio frequency radiation you have through the air, the microwaves from all the wireless technology, and basically find out what's emitting them and get rid of them. So if you have wireless technology in your home, you might consider replacing it with with wired. If your neighbors have wireless technology, it will penetrate into your home. You can tell that when you turn on your computer and if you happen to turn on, uh, you know, um, as, as a wireless device, you can pick up all the different sources. You can contact your neighbors, ask them nicely if they would be willing to, um, you know, replace it uh, with wired technology. Some of them won't be willing, uh, in which case you can then shield your home from this radiation. There's fabric available. There's um, paint available. There's film for your windows that's available now. Triple E glass is very good at reducing quite a bit of this microwave radiation. So there are companies who recognize this is a problem, and they're providing solutions for people. If the people know about it, um, they can actually benefit by installing these things. But once again, they have to be done properly with you know proper monitoring. So it's not that you can just go go away, buy some paint, you know, special paint, put it on your wall, and know you're safe. You actually have to measure it to make sure that you've eliminated all the key uh, sources of radiation. I think there's a website that can tell you how many and how close the cell towers are to your location. That's right. That's called antennasearch.com, and you can just put your address in it, and it will tell you where the cell towers are. That's moderately good. Um, it's it's not as up-to-date as, as some people would like, uh, but it will give you a sense of how much you know exposed you are, how exposed you are. Um, once again, if you've got cell towers near your home, uh, you can filter or you can um, uh, screen that radiation from the side of, you know, if it's, if it's in front of your home, you can do something at the front of the house. Uh, if it's at the back of your home, you can do something at the back of the house to minimize your exposure. So there are things you can do to do that, but you really need to have someone who's qualified and has a lot of experience to do it properly and not make the problem worse. What There's actually it? two parts to a cell tower. Yeah. Yes. Uh, one is the, what's coming through air, what's, you know, through space, what the radiated signal. And the other one is it, when a cell tower goes up in a neighborhood, uh, this equipment runs on DC current. So we, they, they have this big battery bank. You'll see this little building down at the bottom. And it all, it's chock full of all kinds of electronic equipment. 
and it chops up the sine wave really bad, and it creates a lot of a tremendous amount of high frequency transients on the line or dirty electricity, and it'll propagate over long distances. So if you have a cell tower in the neighborhood, uh, chances are the dirty electricity in your home are or the levels are just amplified big time because of that cell tower. Of course, the filters will take care of that part. That's right. We actually, you know, something interesting happened. We were in Bermuda. Yes. And uh, we were giving, this is Dave and I, and we were giving a training course to some of the people there because they wanted to measure radiation coming from cell towers. And we were sitting in our hotel room, and Dave started feeling unwell. And uh, he thought it was electrical. And so we started getting our meters out, and, you know, we found that there was some antenna kitty corner to the room where he was sitting, and he said... He said, no, I don't think that's it. He said, it gets worse when I'm near this lamp. And so we, we measured the lamp, and there was, you know, these high frequencies coming off the lamp. And when we unplugged the lamp from the wall socket, they went away. And it turns out that um, there was a radio station uh, that we were picking up on the wire. It hadn't been properly filtered. And so those high radio frequencies were actually coming in to the building flowing along the wires that were acting like an antenna. They were going into the lamp. They went onto my bed, the coil springs in my mattress, and um, they were just irradiating all of us. And uh, putting in filters that could, you know, get rid of some of that would be really helpful for people who live near such, such antennas. And you were measuring this with which device now? We had various devices. We had a scope meter. We had radio frequency meter. We had everything. So that's how we tracked it down. Very interesting. It's complex, but there are solutions for this. That's the exciting part. That's right. Dave, how do you feel about the fact that there may be other competition in this area? Do you think that's a good thing in terms of the filters? Isn't it the more the better as long as they're for real and they do what they're supposed to do? The more that are out there, the more. We didn't do it to make a lot of money or anything like that. We did it so people could get better. The only thing that's disturbing, of course, is when people take the research was, that was done on our filters and they put it on their website and they say, okay, and, you know, and make it look as if it was done with their filters. Um, that's dishonest. Okay? Yeah. Um, they could contact, we didn't contact anybody to do research on our filters. People actually set out to prove us wrong, including Dr. Havis. <laughs> I didn't know that. Give us the gossip on that. <laughs> Dr. Havis, come on. Tell us. Hold on, um, Dave. I want her to tell us that oh, how she tried to disprove what you're doing. I like that. That's good. Well, I, I got a phone call from a woman <laughs> in Toronto who told me that her daughter was electrically sensitive and that she got worse when she started going to this new school and was so sick at school that she had to come home by noon and uh, spent the rest of the afternoon sleeping. And she said that um, she knew her daughter, and I asked her why she knew her daughter was electrically sensitive, and she says, well, um, she would feel ill in, you know, different environments, and they got these filters and plugged them into their home, and her daughter's health improved. And actually, everyone's health improved in, in, in that home, including their pets. Their pets were behaving much better. And they had some electrical problems that they fixed first, and then they installed these filters. And I had never heard of the filters before. And she said, and she got permission from the principal of the school to install filters in her daughter's school so that her daughter could attend. And, you know, this was at a, a, at a considerable cost to the mother because the school's large. It needs a lot of filters. And so she said, the reason I'm calling you is I'd like to invite you to do a study at the school 
so we can find out how many other people might benefit from these filters, because she was convinced her daughter would. And at the time, I, I, the only thing I knew about dirty electricity was that it damages electronic equipment, and I didn't realize it had any kind of health consequences. I've never read anything about that before. It was lower frequencies or higher frequencies that the research was done on, not these what I call intermediate frequencies. And so, you know, she was a very passionate woman, and, and I really admire parents who, you know, go out of their way to help their kids. And I thought, you know, why not? We could do the study, and when the filters don't work, which is what I was anticipating, then we've got scientific evidence to support that. So we designed a study that was blinded, which means there was no, you know, placebo effect. The teachers didn't know what we were doing. They agreed to answer some questionnaires for us about their own health and the behavior of their students. And um, so we did the study. Uh, lasted for quite a long time because we did pre and post filter analysis as well. And when I finally began to look at the data, I was absolutely astounded by what I was finding. And what I was finding was that about 50% of the teachers' health improved only when the filters were plugged into the electrical sockets at the school. And I thought I had made a mistake, so I sort of recalculated quite a few times. And when I realized it wasn't a mistake, I got really excited. I thought, you know, this is amazing if, if a product like this can actually help, help kids and help teachers. And I met Dave, um, and he then told me about diabetics, that it actually helps diabetics. And I got even more excited because, you know, with diabetics, you, you can measure the blood sugar. You get a number. It's not something they can mentally control. It's not subjective. They don't say, you know, uh, my headache is on a scale of 1 to 10. It's a 7 right now. There's no way of testing that. And so I began to work with diabetics, and I found that um, their blood sugar normalizes. They, you know, they don't have the spikes. Um, they have to take less insulin, less medication to control their blood sugar. I mean, I was absolutely astounded. And we've published, we published the school study. We've actually repeated the school study at three other schools just to make sure that, you know, our, our results weren't bogus. Um, and we got basically the same thing. This time we had a 30% improvement in teacher health. So 30% of the teachers improved. Um, and the students' behavior improved as well, primarily at the elementary school level. So the younger the children, uh, the more improvement there was. And many of the symptoms that changed were the ones that we associate with attention deficit uh, and attention hyperactivity disorder, which is on the rise. So if you start putting all of this together, diabetes is on the rise and uh, ADD and ADHD are on the rise. Uh, could some of that be due to the uh, corrupted electrical environment? The other fascinating thing was one of the schools in Wisconsin that had uh, what I would call sick building syndrome, where there, something was in the school that was making teachers and students ill. Um, normally, you, you assume it, it has something to do with chemicals or with mold. And so the school, um, after a lot of protests from teachers, uh, took it seriously. They cleaned up the school during the summer. The teachers came back in September and they got sick again. So whatever, you know, the mold they had removed and the chemicals weren't the problem. They then um, measured the power quality in the school, found it was corrupted, put filters in, and a lot of the problems went away. And what was really fascinating is that something like 37 children in that school had asthma and required inhalers almost on a daily basis. And after the filters were installed, that dropped to four, and these four kids needed it only for exercise-induced asthma. 
they were still using their inhalers at home because they were in a dirty environment, electromagnetically dirty environment. But at school, they didn't require them. And one of the teachers at the school, uh, and she was also a principal, had multiple sclerosis. And she noticed that after the filters went in, her symptoms of MS began to improve. And so I began to work with people who had MS. And once again, the results I was getting was so astounding that I thought, you know, I don't believe these results, and I'm watching them. I, I can see the people improve. And so I began to videotape them. And if you see one of my videos, the before and after, with, you know, two weeks in between of people living in a, in a clean electromagnetic environment, and, you know, they couldn't walk before they had to use a cane, and you can't even tell they have MS in the second video. I mean, it's that, it's that dramatic. And there's no change in their medication. So, if anything, uh, a number of them have, you know, gone off medication or, or reduced their medication. So, you know, we can't, we can't ignore this. This is real. Dr. Sam Milham um, went to a school in California where they had a cancer cluster among the teachers. And once again, they thought it might be chemicals or mold or something like that. They checked the environment, couldn't find anything. He recommended they measure the power quality and, and electromagnetic fields. They did. Um, and then he, they gave him the data to, to look at. And he found that if a teacher worked in an environment where the levels on the GS meter were greater than 2,000, that that teacher had, a I think it was a five-fold increased risk of developing cancer. And that is humongous. So, it's, so basically, this poor power quality has been linked to cancer, to diabetes, to multiple sclerosis, which is a neurological disease, to uh, symptoms of attention deficit disorder, to things like chronic fatigue, chronic pain, uh, difficulty concentrating. I mean, you know, a lot of the symptoms that we are now struggling with and are, you know, self-medicating uh, could actually be something that's in our environment and we can reduce the medication, reduce our symptoms simply by cleaning it up at the source. And that's what the filters do. And that's what, you know, getting rid of, of these uh, wireless devices will do to people. It will clean up their environment. Their body can then begin to heal again. And many of their symptoms will simply disappear. It's really, really exciting. And the thing is, a couple of years ago when we did the show, Dave, and you shared with the audience that the electrical grid in the U.S. is different. You said it has a something like a Y... It's W-Y-E. It's called a grounded Y system. Right. And in Europe, we have they use an open delta system. So the electrons or the current that leaves the substation or the power plant, it goes out on a wire and it has to return on a wire. It's the only path back. So everything's on a wire. Uh, in the United States, what happens is we use a grounded Y system where we run three hot wires out and we call them A, B, and C. And then we have a neutral, where the imbalanced current comes back on the neutral. But when we designed the system, it was designed for light bulbs and motors. They're what we call linear loads. Now we have nonlinear loads, electronic loads. But what happens with this grounded Y system, we have this neutral wire. It's also connected to the earth. So there's actually two paths back. Current that goes out on the hot wires has to return to the substation. Now it has two, two paths back. One is on the wire, of course, and the other one is in the neutral or in the ground. It's like a sewage system. When you flush your toilet, uh, you know, you have a pipe that goes out to the main pipe in, your, in the street. 
and that goes right down to the sewage uh, treatment plant. But if that thing becomes overloaded, the sewer treatment or, or the this main pipe, uh, one of the things you could do to relieve that pressure uh, would be to go out and drill holes in the in the pipe and let it run uncontrolled over the the earth. Of course, nobody does that because you can see it, you can smell it, things like that. Well, that's basically what the electric utilities have done. They've like drilled a hole. They drove a ground rod in, on almost every pole now. And so, they're putting this current in the earth. And it flows once it's on the earth, it flows uncontrolled over the earth. And, of course, our water pipes are in the earth, natural gas pipelines are in the earth, things like that. So it comes into our home, uh, you know, on, on our pipes and things like that, too. So the original motivation for interviewing you, Dave, a few years ago, and Dr. Havis, I do want you to comment on this after I lay it out, but what motivated my invitation to you, Dave, was that I had heard this conversation on earthing, this product where people put their feet on this mat and they plug it into the wall, and I was going to do an interview with the founder of this product, and I wired myself up, I did it, and I could not sleep for practically three days, like as if I was on cocaine or something. And in my attempt to give the feedback to the CEO, I didn't necessarily get the response. I didn't get it. Like, why did this happen to me? I thought this is supposed to take care of inflammation. I didn't get it because everybody was so excited about earthing and grounding yourself and touching the earth. And I mean, it really is kind of a sexy thing, getting back to basics and all that. I mean, it sounds great. In so, North America, yeah. if you took a mat, I mean, you wouldn't think of taking a mat and taking a wire and connecting it to it and, and going out with the other end of the wire and, and connect it to the bottom wire of the, the electrical grid, would you? No. And then sleep on that mat. Well, that's basically exactly what you do when you plug into that uh, ground plug on your wall outlet. That wire that goes to that, you know, the third prong on your receptacle goes to your electrical panel, which is then connected to your transformer, which is then connected directly to the bottom wire of the electrical grid. It's the primary neutral. Okay? So in North America... That's what you're doing. You're connecting yourself to the power line. And if you, and you say, well, okay, I drove it into a ground rod outside in, in the, in, on the earth. 70% of all the current that went out on the phase wires returns via the earth. So you don't want to connect yourself to that. And then you can come back and say, well, yes, but, but these people had all these great results by laying on this mat. Well, first of all, it was done in Europe, most of the research. In Europe, they don't use the earth as a return path. And... If you take the human body, and remember earlier I said it looks like two capacitors and, and three resistors? Yes. The human body, if you're sitting in front of a, a computer or anything like that, and we have instruments that we can measure this, the body will charge up, and it'll hold the charge. But you can discharge by standing on a piece of aluminum foil, just simple kitchen aluminum foil. Throw it on the floor, stand on your stocking feet, and it only takes about a minute, and you're totally discharged. And we have instruments, and we can measure this. You don't need it. $200 or $50 or $150 mat to do this on. You can just stand on aluminum foil. But I want you to know, when we did that show, I got a lot of flack for it. Well, meters don't lie. Uh, facts are facts, and the theory's there. And uh, you, you also, remember, you said you got sick. I get one email a day telling me that. I also think people can be hypnotized to experience things, people too. People selling these mats have no electrical training, no formal electrical training. 
They are businessmen, the same as the people who are selling these knockoff filters. They have no electrical training. They have no one on their staff who is an engineer or any, any training whatsoever or formal training. They're just businessmen, and they want to make a dollar. I get what you're saying. In my experience with this particular product, I thought not only they wanted to make a dollar, I thought they wanted to make a difference. So I was really enamored with what getting grounded could do. And it wasn't until I had a terrible experience and then heard Dr. Gonzalez interviewed on Dr. Mercola where I even found out about you when he was asked about it. But the revelation of interviewing you a few years ago is that the revelation is bigger than about those mats. It's about the grid. It's about the ground. It's about the fact that the U.S. is totally different than Europe in other locations. And that means something totally different, doesn't it? That's why our cows, uh, you know, originally I got into this because people were complaining about their cows. And their cows were ill and their cows... uh, didn't produce the milk they should, and the milk that was being produced was full of bacteria, things like that. So we started looking at this, and when we change it, cows, the psychosomatic part of, for cows shouldn't exist. I mean, uh, so what happens is when we make a change in their electrical environment, their milk production changed, the, the somatic cell goes down, everything. And what we noticed, it wasn't very much voltage, very low level but high frequency stuff or or energy is what's causing this problem. Dr. Havis, what about the heart? What have you found out about the effects of dirty electricity and microwave energy on the heart? Well, we've done a study uh, with microwave energy and um, it was called a proof of concept study. A lot of the people who become electrically sensitive complain of heart palpitations. And, um, you know, some of them think they're, they're having a heart attack and, um, you know, it's really quite frightening for, for many of them. And it comes on suddenly, and it might disappear suddenly as well. So they, they just can't understand it. And once again, the heart is something that's fairly easy to measure. So I'm, I'm looking for things that we can document objectively. And so we did a study. Um, we started in Colorado with 25 volunteers, and we hooked them up to um, something called a heart rate variability monitor that gives us a lot of information on their physical fitness and the health of their heart. And we exposed them blindly, which meant that they didn't know when they were exposed, to the radiation from a cordless phone. And um, so they weren't talking on the phone at all. We simply plugged the base station into an electric, a live electrical outlet, or we plugged it into a dead electrical outlet, which was our, our sham, sham exposure or you know our placebo exposure. And out of those um, 25 people, a number of them developed an arrhythmia, so an irregular heart rate. A few of them developed tachycardia, which is a very rapid heart rate. And just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, um, one person had a heart rate of 65. They were lying down, you know, relaxing, and that was their resting heart rate. Uh, we then exposed them to the radiation, and their heart rate instantly jumped to about 120 beats per minute. Wow. That's a doubling. You know, most of us have to exercise quite a bit to get it up to that level, and they were lying down on their back. So this was an electrical interference with their heart, basically. And um, so we published that. Once again, it's a peer-reviewed publication. And we've since repeated it for another 75 people um, in different states and in Canada as well. And we're finding virtually the same thing. Um, And 
um, you know, this is something that people have to know about. And if you now look at what's happening with kids in schools, the fact that they're having these heart palpitations, certainly our research suggests that that's totally plausible based on their microwave exposure, because in both cases we were using the same frequency, 2.4 gigahertz, uh, both for the cordless phone and for the Wi-Fi in the classroom. Now, what's even more disturbing is that there's an increase in out-of-hospital sudden cardiac arrest among young people. And the cardiologists don't know what's causing it, but it's, it's a consistent increase. And usually this happens, um, it's related to exercise. So you have a young child who's, um, you know, in school, you know, in their uh, physical education class or they're doing some um, athletics after school, and suddenly their heart stops, like instantly. And, uh, you know, sometimes they're revived, and unfortunately sometimes they're not. Um, this could be due to the fact that they've been exercising, so they're really stressing the heart muscle. They might have some underlying heart condition that hasn't shown up until now, and they're exposed to microwave radiation from a cell phone that might be a cell phone antenna that might be on, on um, school property. And so those three make a perfect storm um, if you happen to have all of them. And remember what I said about Zori Glazier. Yes. It affects the heart. So don't expose these people to this kind of radiation. It's really profound. Now, one of the things they're doing in schools is they're putting in defibrillators. So when a child or someone else uh, goes into sudden cardiac arrest, um, they can basically, you know, give them a shock and get their heart moving again, uh, pumping again. Now, when I was in school, I don't remember having children who had, you know, my classmates and I didn't have headaches at the end of school. We, we didn't have the symptoms that children are complaining about. And I don't remember, you know, a serious problem with any heart issues <laughs> either. So all of this is, is brand new, and so it's probably not genetic, it's probably not lifestyle. It's probably related to something in the environment by the rate at which it's changing. And one of the things that's changing so quickly is our exposure to this wireless technology. I just, first of all, want to thank you both and tell you how brave I think you are and how lucky we are to even know that you're around. And Dave, I really feel for the attacks on you and Dr. Havis. I don't know if you've been attacked heavily like Dave has, but I think... All the time. All the time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're really out there as a beacon to assist us so that we can transition and at least offer the most protection that we can during this time in history. You're tackling something so big. I mean, when it comes to the utilities, I think that's as big as it gets, don't you? Well, the wireless industry is pretty big. Yeah. The wireless and the utilities, both. Yep. So I just want to thank you. For those of you who would like to go to Dr. Havis's website, you can reach her and read all her articles and PDFs going to magdahavis.com, M-A-G-D-A-Havis, H-A-V-A-S.com. And for those of you who would like to also go to Dave Stetzer's site and order yourself the filters and the box that he made that measures what's going on in your environment, you can go to Stetzer Electric at stetzerelectric.com, www.stetzerelectric.com. And thank you both for being here today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having us.